Well, good morning, New Life. My name's Kent Williams. I'm a longtime friend of Joe and Kirsten. And uh, I'm here today because Joe invited me. I love coming, by the way. First of all, I love Joe and Kirsten. They're really dear to my heart, close to me. And uh, I love this church. Every time I come, I'm like energized by you guys. But I do want to just, just kind of this warning, the longer a pastor stays somewhere, the more the church tends to take on their personality. So you all are in big trouble. Uh, that's all I can tell you. Uh, it's always, again, it's, it, it's energized. I was probably here a year ago, and those of you who remember me or recognize me, you may have just nudged your wife and gone, hey, that's the guy with all the issues. I do have some issues. I'm gonna try to unpack some of those today. You realize as you get older that you can either live 64 years like I have or you can live the same year 64 times. And sometimes God gives you a little wake-up call. I think our nation, our world has been getting a wake-up call, okay? I think through COVID, through all the economic things we're going through, I don't know about you, but the heat wave and the drought, I mean, these to me are polite taps on the shoulder. God always, before he brings judgment, he always brings a warning. And I think that's true for us personally. On a personal level, my best friend from college days died from COVID a few months ago. That was a wake-up call for me. Uh, just a few weeks ago, we had a 48-year-old fa father of two killed in a motorcycle wreck. So these are all wake-up calls. But just a few days ago, I was fishing with a friend, and when you're fishing in over 100-degree temperature, we were doing really good. But, I mean, we were catching the fish, but I was feeling like really wonky out there. And I, so I said, I need to go back here and sit down. And just about the time, I say to my friend, I'm not really feeling quite, I didn't get all the words out. I fell in the lake. I must have passed out. And the next thing I know, he's pulling me back on the boat. Now, folks, all of these are just wake-up calls, how fragile life is, and as I get older, listen, I want to live my life with no regrets. Amen? I mean, if there's unfinished business, you, you get these wake-up calls like, I want to make sure we're good, I'm cool with my family, with my wife, and that the thing that my family does not remember about me is that, man, he had a lot of issues. You see, too many people, especially it seems in the church, but that's the most of the people I've been around, too many Christians have grown old, but they've never grown up. I mean, you see it all the time. Like, you're just disappointed sometimes in others, sometimes in yourself. I kind of did a series on this, and it was really about our mental and emotional health. And I, I used that very line on a Sunday morning that many Christians have grown old, but they've never grown up. And pastors always love it on Sunday afternoon when someone texts them a critique of their sermon. We love that. <laughs> and, and so here it comes. I'm like, oh man, this is gonna ruin my nap, my Sunday afternoon nap. And I'll use a different name, but let's just say his, his name was Randy. So he texted me something that he disagreed with in my sermon. So I tried very kindly to explain myself. And he he, he, he kind of started this little text exchange, and I said, I don't really want to do this by text. Let's meet. Let's talk. But he concludes with this. He says, well, you're never wrong. 
your divorce, which I am, your church firing, which I was, the splitting of the church, which it happened, he says the common denominator is you. Exclamation point, capital letters. So I prayed about it, you know, you want to just shoot something back. So I prayed about it and I wrote back, dear Randy, it takes one to know one. <laughs> then I look for the little raspberry gif, like, you know, I, how dare you insinuate that I'm immature? <laughs> I know what you are, what am I? How many of you have gotten in some kind of battle in texting or on social media? I mean, people will hide behind social media and say some of the rudest things. And I begin to realize as I'm unpacking some things in my own life that one of the real issues that I have is that I tend to hold on to things. I mean, I'm not like Teflon. I'm more like Velcro. Things stick to me. Now, how many of you say that one of my issues might, might be that I might tend to hang on to things a little bit? Hurtful things, hurtful words, things that have said. Well, we want to kind of deal with that issue today. And I'm convicted when I hear, when I read in the scriptures, like when Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, love keeps no record of wrong. Keeps no record. You know, I want to be a more loving person to my family, to my wife. I don't want things to stick to me. I want to let them roll off. And then when I hear this, you know, I'm sure somehow spirit-inspired song uh, by the by the eagles, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> get over it. I'm like, yeah, I need to learn to just get over it. But of course, my, my favorite all-time movie is Frozen. And you all know that song, you know? Let it go, let it go. Come on, sing it with me. You know this song. Anyway, like, this guy's really weird. Anyway, so my youngest son says to me, you have to watch a show on Apple TV, Dad. It's called Ted Lasso. Because in the midst of all this COVID, all this stuff that's going on in our world, it is a feel-good show. I said, sure, I'll watch it. He goes, no, you won't. You're lying to me. Even though I'm a pastor, I've probably done that. Anyway, he says, I will never speak to you again if you don't watch this show. So I watched it. And one of the things I took away that helped me in my spiritual journey to maturity, one of the things that helped me is a, a saying that Ted Lasso says on this show, he says, you know what the happiest animal on earth is? He's saying this, I won't get into the whole background. One of the, ha the happiest animal on earth is a goldfish. Do you know why it's happy? It has a 10 second memory. So you came in today and you got a little bag of goldfish. Times are hard. Listen, if you don't have enough money to get the groceries, at least you got some goldfish to keep you going. I thought we might have a goldfish eating contest, but they would be everywhere. And what's really kind of cool about this, somebody said earlier, it looked like the fish was like in my ear. But what's really cool is the goldfish that's going to be back here is on a 10-second loop. A 10-second memory. It's on a 10-second loop. Now, John, your worship leader, is kind of smart. I like he goes, I forgot what your sermon was about. That's not what we mean. We don't mean to forget the sermon. What we mean, and the happiest animal on earth is a goldfish because things don't stick to them. They just let it roll off. They have a 10-second memory. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever seen an unhappy goldfish? See, proves my point. They're happy. 
So turn to the person next to you who might tend to be a little bit like uh, Velcro. Just turn to them and say, be a goldfish. There you go. See, when your feelings get hurt, when you got to something, said something, somebody texted you, said, but let's try it again, but let's try it like a goldfish. You kind of make your mouth like a goldfish, so be a goldfish, okay? Just try it again. Be a goldfish. This week, when you guys are getting a little fussy back and forth, maybe somebody said something, your your husband or your wife, just look at them and say, just be a goldfish. It's going to be a lot of fun. You can, this guy back, he's got the goldfish down. I saw you. Yeah, be a goldfish. Typical corny dad humor, okay? But it makes a point. I'm on a journey to get healthy, and I want to learn to be a goldfish. And one of the first things that struck me as I was thinking about this is the forgetfulness of God. How many of you forget things? We forget all the wrong things. We remember all the wrong things, I should say. The forgetfulness of God. How could a God who knows everything forget anything? And yet the scriptures over and over remind us of the forgetfulness of God. One of those theological things we don't talk about too much is you know God says, my mercies are new every morning. Every morning when God wakes up, he goes, I don't remember anything that happened yesterday. My mercies for you are new every morning. The psalmist said in Psalm 103, he will not always accuse. He will not harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve. See, God doesn't hold a grudge against us. He doesn't repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west. Now, you can't measure you can measure north to south, right? We know we, how many miles it is from the north to south, but you can't measure east to west on a globe. You can't measure how high the heavens are above the, above the earth. It's immeasurable. It's limitless. So far has he removed our transgressions from us. He forgot about it. He brings something up to God. He said, I don't know what you're talking about. Why do you keep bringing this thing up again and again that I have already forgotten? As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him, for he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are just little dust people. He made you. He knows you're prone to things sticking to you, but it doesn't stick to him, the forgetfulness of God. A few weeks ago, Someone pointed out an article to me in, it was on the internet. If it's on the internet, it's, it's got to be true, right? It was actually on, in Newsweek. I found it in Newsweek, but there was a lady in India and she was attacked by an elephant. They don't understand for sure why, but they say elephants have really long memories and they think maybe she helped with poachers separating her from her baby, but this elephant came out of the jungle, attacked this woman and killed her. And then, did any of you see this? It was crazy. Then they're having her funeral in this little hut, and the elephant comes back, finds the woman's body, takes it out, and throws it out in the jungle. There's a moral to this story. If you are at a funeral in India, and there was an elephant attack, I would not go to that funeral, okay? Don't make a mama elephant mad, because she won't forget you. Most of us are more like elephants 
than goldfish. But the Bible tells us again and again about our sin, God has a short memory, a 10-second memory. In Isaiah chapter one, verse 18, come now, let us settle the matter, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, some of you are hanging on to some stuff God forgave a long time ago. Who are you to hold a grudge against yourself or against other people for that matter? Let's settle the matter. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. And in Jeremiah 31, 34, for I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. You see the forgetfulness of God all through the scriptures. In Micah chapter seven, verse 19, you will tread our sins underfoot and hurl all our iniquities into the depths of the sea. I can't seem to forget and he can't seem to remember. In Romans chapter four, verse seven, blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. And Paul in Colossians chapter two, verse 13 says, when you were dead in your sins and in your uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sin, having canceled or forgotten the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. Glory, hallelujah. It's done, it's forgiven, it's forgotten, it's cast into the depths of the sea, though our sins are scarlet. He makes them white as snow. God forgot the things that you have done. Amen? Man, that makes me happy. So, why can't we? See, why do we keep holding on to things. Why can't we forget? Well, I think our problem is psychological. <laughs> Let me just preface this by saying, most young people, when they say, I'm working on myself, what they're really saying is, I'm working on my mental and emotional and psychological issues. For years in the church, I have preached that our biggest problem is a spiritual problem, and I still believe that. But one of the reasons so many in the church have grown old, but they've never grown up, including myself, is that we don't really understand that we are psychological human beings. And I would push back toward this. If you had asked me as a young man, so what's your approach to counseling? My approach to counseling was pretty simple. Stop sinning. Right? But I fail to understand that we're far more complex than that and that we are psychological. Did you know that the word P-S-Y-C-H-E pronounced suke in the Greek is 105 times in the New Testament? Did you know that that same word can be translated soul, life, heart, or mind? And it refers to our feelings, our feelings, our desires, our affections, and our emotions. Now, let me just take a little asterisk footnote here. Ladies, the only emotion that your man is probably comfortable expressing to you, he's not going to cry. He's not going to say, you hurt my feelings. He's not going to say, I'm afraid. The only emotion most men are comfortable with is what? Anger. <laughs> Oh, what they really don't know how to express themselves other than through anger. So let me just kind of step back from this a minute. Let me ask you a question. First of all, we're in church. It's Sunday morning. Okay, you got to be honest. How many of you have some issues? We call it baggage, you know. How many of you have some issues? Ah, good. Now look around, raise your hand. Look around at those who don't have their hand up. 
they are the most messed up of all the people in this room. Now, eventually, that was kind of me. You know, you get to be in your 60s, and you finally realize, you become kind of self-aware. You go through some things. You go, you know, I could be a little bit narcissistic. And your family's like, you're just now figuring that out? <laughs> so, so we all, maybe not, okay, you can say I don't. You, you, I don't have any issues. Well, let me tell you a little bit. This is, this is spiritual, okay? But it, we're going to address something that's called the mind for a moment. Your brain is actually the, the organ that is the, uh, referred to by some as the anatomy of the soul. This is where it all begins right here. And you study the scripture, you understand. It's in your thought processes. You don't sin in a vacuum. It starts right here. So let's just imagine that your brain is like an album. I remember when I was in college, I'd saved my money up. I went to J.C. Penney and I got this really nice stereo system. It had the big speakers. You know, it had the, it had the uh, I think I had a, a, maybe a cassette. T- no, it wasn't cassette back then. It was, anyway, uh, probably, a, what do they call that? A-track, A-track, thank you. Old people, A-track, I know. <laughs> yeah kind of wobbled and stuff. You had to put cardboard in there. Anyway, I get this album and I said to my friends, how many of you love the Beach Boys? I love the Beach Boys. I love to play that on the boat. You know, we got California girls. I get around. I thought this was a little safer than my Doobie Brothers album. But anyway, Surfing USA, although they're a spiritual group, Jesus is just all right with me. Anyway, uh, good vibrations. If you had been in my college dorm room and you had said, hey, can I play your, can I play your Beach Boys album? I would have said, you're sure welcome to to do that, but just be really careful that you don't scratch it, okay? You little thing, and lowered it down on there very carefully. When you scratch an album, it's like fingernails on a chalkboard. You're like, ah, oh, you scratched my album. If I could do that right now, you young people are like, I have no idea what he's talking about. Trust me, it's a terrible sound when you spend this kind of money on an album. When we go through trauma, Everyone in this room has been through trauma. Some of it starting when you're very young, some of it recently. When you go through trauma, it's like the scratch on the album. And listen careful, it's always there. So it's not whether we have issues, because we all do. We all have some scratches. And in fact, the brain is protecting us from saying, you know, when you go through a divorce, I don't ever want to go through that again, okay? When you go through something painful, The brain is saying to you, that hurt really bad. So it's a self-protection mechanism. But here's what happens. Many people get stuck in that. It's like the record just keeps going over and over and over and over again. That's why it's it's especially important to remember to be a goldfish. So how do we do that? One of the things Christians are pretty good about, and I thought the beach ball and the goldfish and beach, beach boy, it all ties in pretty good. But one of the things that Christians are pretty good about is suppressing their feelings. They say that, that anxiety is the result of unfelt feelings. I didn't realize, but I'm a very anxious person. I just said, well, I'm a little ADD. No, I have a lot of anxiety. I can't sit still. I can't focus. I'm always checking my phone. But what really is going on is I have feelings I've never dealt with. I've never talked about. I've never worked through those things. 
And that is like taking this beach ball and saying, I don't want to deal with that right now because it hurts too much, whether it's grief, trauma, the loss of a loved one. So I'm just going to push that down. But let me tell you something, and I want in no way for you to leave here today and think that I think what you have been through is not important because trauma, and many of you have been hurt deeply. What I'm not saying to you is that you need to just suppress it and ignore it and pretend it didn't happen. What I'm saying is you can only hold it down so long. As you get older, it's like, I can't hold all of these balls down at the same time. And it comes up in a really, can come up in really unhealthy ways. You gotta let yourself feel and experience and listen carefully. When I met my wife, who is the ultimate goldfish, I mean, things roll off her. She told me, because I'd just gone through a divorce. Obviously, we were just friends at that time. But she said, you're really messed up. Thank you in ways you don't even know. And listen, she said, you have to walk this out. You gotta talk it through. You gotta let yourself feel the pain. You gotta learn to be real. Take baby steps. And so that's still the journey I'm on. The other way we can, and there are actually many, many ways we cope with trauma, but the two I wanna talk about is one, we suppress our feelings. The other thing we do, if I could take that album out, get some Band-Aids out if I had more hands, we self-medicate. And I've grown in my compassion toward people who are struggling with addiction because really what they're doing when they're struggling with addiction, what we're doing is we're self-medicating, but it's putting a Band-Aid on a broken record. It doesn't solve the problem. It, it's still there. In fact, those who get stuck in addiction, it messes it up even more. You got more trauma, more pain, more issues. So these are unhealthy ways we deal with them. Paul said, if you really want to grow up, if you really want to be different, and that's the question today, folks. It's not whether you have issues. The real question is, if I come back this time next year, can you come and look me now and say, you know, I've really grown this year. The way we grow, Paul says, is by the renewing, be transformed by the renewing of our minds. So how do we do that? Well, it's, it is psychological, it is mental, it is emotional, and it's spiritual. It's all of the above. You do it through meditation. Um, now, Eastern meditation says empty your mind. The psalmist says, I meditate on his law day and night. I told a woman who came after the, up after the last service, she's really struggling. And I said, when you can't remember to do anything else, call on the name of Jesus and just start reading the psalms. There's going to be healing. They're meditating on this. So listen, there's very practical things that God tells us to do. He tells us instead of being complaining, you can walk out of here today, you can complain about anything that happened to church, you can complain about the restaurant, you can complain about your spouse, but it says replace that complaining, which is a bad habit, replace it with gratitude. That actually rewires your brain. Then you begin seeing things in a different way. You begin seeing people in a different way. It's a spiritual discipline. So things like gratitude and meditation and being in community. That's what happens when we share our lives with each other. We rub the rough edges off being in solitude, just going before being still and knowing that he is God. Folks, that's how we get unstuck. 
And we can so easily get stuck between the pain of our past and the fear of our future. And what happens when we get stuck in trauma, and I know people, we we talk a lot right now in getting mentally and emotionally healthy about post-traumatic stress disorder. Well, that's a very real thing. And what happens is if you're not careful, you could get stuck in that pain. So working through it in new positive ways, training your brain spiritually to rethink things, it's a lot of work, but it's worth it. I'm doing that work right now. Paul says in Ephesians, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. So let me ask you a question. Do you want to forget? Do you want to grow? Do you want to get better? Do you want to be happy, blessed? I do. Jesus said to a man who was a paralytic for 38 years, he saw him lying there and he asked him an interesting question, almost what I would think if I was that guy, this is a dumb question to ask me, Jesus. But he looks at that man who had been a paralytic for 38 years. He, he asked him a, an important question I want to ask you right now. He said, do you want to get well? I mean, you want to get stuck in this or do you want to get well? Do you want to grow or do you just want to grow old? And so the question you're going to have to ask yourself, because it's hard work, when you do this work, hard means discomfort, it means breaking patterns, it means looking inward, it means taking ownership, it means doing things we're not used to, it means you have to say, I I could be wrong or I was wrong, it means it's no longer just about you, it's about other people. And so I I wanna close with a story that you're familiar with, the story of Joseph. I love, I love the story of Joseph because he's like clueless. He is like, he has the lowest emotional IQ of anyone I've ever read of in the Bible. He's a great guy. The Bible really has nothing bad to say about Joseph other than that he was just emotionally and mentally, he was, he was not right, you know. He, he had to grow in some areas. And one of the ways we know that is because God gave him a dream and he dreamed that... <clears throat> his father and his brothers would bow down and worship him. Remember that? Now, if you have that dream and you go to your family reunion, I would suggest you not share that. But Joseph is like clueless. His father's like, yeah, cool it, man. This is not all right. In fact, he was so obnoxious, so clueless, his brothers hated him. His father loved him, but all of his brothers hated him to the point he's showing off his new coat. His dad got him, you know, like they were, they were rags and old. He's showing that off. He's completely clueless. So they sold him into slavery. You know the story. Joseph is betrayed. But here's what you don't see in the story of Joseph. You see, he's clueless about things, but he didn't wallow in self-pity. Joseph is like the ultimate goldfish. There's no place recorded. In fact, what we know about Joseph is more what he didn't say than what he did say. He doesn't say that much in the story. He didn't didn't go when he runs into the the cupbearer and the baker. He didn't go, you guys know what my brothers did to me? Oh, they sold me. I mean, he just tells this story and rants and goes on and on and relives this horrible story. And then you know what the baker did to me? He, did, he never tells any of this. Let me ask you a question. How many of you love to hear someone rant about how much they have been wronged? Me either. 
So why would we think someone wants to hear our story again and again and again? You need to find a trusted friend or a counselor. You need to share it. You need to share your feelings and how it affected you. And then you need to move on. Just be a goldfish. Let it go. Let it go. Joseph was able somehow to let it go. And I think what happened to him is he's in the pit. Listen, we all go through those times. When he's in prison, I think Joseph might have, the Holy Spirit worked in Joseph's heart and he might have reflected on what an obnoxious bratty jerk he was. Listen, folks, the journey to to spiritual and mental and emotional health comes when we begin to be self-aware and we're not all we think we are and things that other people see in us And I have a feeling God gave Joseph plenty of time to think about it. And you know what he didn't choose to do? He didn't choose to recite again and again the wrongs that had been done to him because that just makes you a victim. Instead, he began thinking, I believe, about what he had done. So many lessons from Joseph's life. He didn't wallow in self-pity and tell the story again and again. He didn't become a victim. He must have owned his stuff that he could be arrogant and self-centered because when he met his brothers, he saw his brothers and the father died in Genesis chapter 50, verse 15. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? But Joseph didn't hold a grudge because Joseph was a goldfish. And he says to them in Genesis 50, 19, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You see, he was able to empathize with them and he humbled himself. I'm not God. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for the good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then he said, don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. You see, listen, Joseph understood a Bible verse that had not even been written yet. In Romans chapter eight, verse 22, it says in all these things, God is working for the good to those who love him. I can't change the things that have happened to you. I can't take that pain away, but Jesus can. Jesus understands that woundedness that you have. And when we bring it to him and we surrender to him and he says, watch what I can do with your brokenness not in spite of it but because of it and Joseph says what you intended for evil God intended for good look he saved us all in fact he saved a nation because of you and because of me and our sins I could camp a long time on Joseph but let me just summarize his story with this He was a type of Jesus. In the Bible, in the Old Testament, there's types and antitypes. You look at Joseph and all the things about Joseph, sold into slavery, Jesus sold, betrayed, jealousy. So many parallels between Jesus and Joseph. It's no wonder that when Jesus hung on the cross in Luke 23, he said, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. Our God, and this may sound like bad theology, but I hope you've gotten it by now. Our God's a goldfish. Jesus was a goldfish. The things that were said and done to him rolled off. They didn't stick. My father's 92. I'm just really blessed he's still alive. Mom's 89. Dad's got dementia. Doesn't know where he lives most of the time. Didn't recognize most of his grandkids at the family reunion. But I will tell you this, he's happy. He's happy. 
Every time I see him, he's happy, cracking a joke about something. Recently, and it's really hard to watch him uh, as he is beginning to digress in this disease, it really dawned on me. He asked dad about COVID. He has no clue. He doesn't know about COVID, what we went through. He doesn't know about the war in Ukraine. He doesn't know about the economic challenges we're facing right now. Dad doesn't know anything about that, so he's happy. He's happier than most Americans I know. He doesn't know, and I had to break the news to him. One of the hardest things I ever have done is tell him that his twin sister passed away. It was like I kicked him in the stomach, but now he doesn't remember that. He doesn't know he's the only one of his eight siblings still living. He thinks his grandma's still alive, but he's happy. Recently, Dad, it seems like God has been parting the veil because Dad has been saying some very unusual things. He woke up one morning, normally doesn't say much of anything, but he says to my mom, I have something important to tell you. God told me what they're going to name the baby. Mom said, what baby? Well, I have a stepdaughter that was expecting, but he wouldn't know that. He goes, the baby. He goes, okay, what's God God telling you? God said they're going to name the baby Eliza. So I'm telling my wife this story and her eyes got big and her jaw kind of dropped and kind of welled up with tears and she said, Kent, that was my grandma's name. I said, well, that's an unusual name. What a weird thing for my dad to come up with. And we're telling the kids this and my son-in-law's mother says, Chase, that was your grandma's name, Elizabeth, shortened to Eliza. Well, they named the baby Eliza. I think God, my wife said, God is giving your dad a little glimpse behind the veil. I think he's preparing me. He's preparing you. We had a family reunion about two weeks ago. At the family reunion, uh, my dad says to my mom, call the fire department. She said, what? Call the fire department. There's a fire at the church. Well, how do you know there's a fire at the church? Because I said it. (laughs) Well, I hope not. Our son preaches there. Just call the fire department. That night, about two blocks from his house was a massive fire and the building that caught fire is owned by a couple in our church. I keep hoping dad will wake up one morning and say, I had a dream Kent won the lottery. (laughs) I don't know what God is doing, but here's what I do know. And this just dawned on me the other day. Maybe he's happy and heaven is closer for him because he doesn't remember. And that's a gift. And the gift that I want to give you today is to remember to forget. Just be a goldfish. Father, we're blessed. Your mercies are new every morning. I am one broken, broken man. But I want to get healthy. I want to get well. I want to grow. I want to learn. I want my family to remember that I was imperfect, but I had a perfect God that loved me and was gracious. Lord, this life is short. It's a mist. It's a vapor. Vapor. We're like grass. But Father, while we're here, we are committed to being all we can be because of you. 
I pray in this place right now through the power of your spirit and the power of your word that you would speak to the depths of our heart and that there would be those burdens laid down at the foot of the cross today, those things that we have clung to, those words that stung and hurt and bruised, those actions against us, the trauma that we've experienced, then, Father, we would let it go. We would truly be able to let it go. Give it to you. And say that literally, I give this to you. We lay it at your feet. Thank you, Jesus, for the healing that you're going to bring through your word, through your spirit. In the powerful and precious name of Jesus, I pray. 